0: Book three, chapter eight of the heavenly twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Guinan, The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book three, chapter eight. Angelica must have fallen asleep the moment she got into bed that night, and just as instantly she began to dream. She had never hitherto felt a throb of passion she had given the best love of her life to her brother and had made no personal application of anything she had heard or seen or read of lovers so that the possibility of ever having one of her own had never cost her a serious thought but the excitement of that day and the occupations that so wrought upon her imagination that when she slept she dreamt and in her dream she saw a semblance the semblance of a man a changing semblance the features of which she could not discern although she tried with frenzied effort because she knew that when she saw him fully face to face he would be hers they were not in this world nor in the next they were not even in the universe they were simply each the centre of a great light which formed a sphere around them and separated them from one another and heaven and hell and earth and sky and night and day and life and death were all added to the glory of those spheres of light and she knew how, but there is no word of human speech to express it. She lay on light, she stood on light, she sat on light, she swam in light, and wallowed and walked and ran and leaped and soared, rolling along in her own sphere until the monotony made her giddy, and all her endeavor was to reach her lover, not for himself, so much as because she knew that if their two lights could be added in equal parts to each other and mingled into one, their combined effergence would make a pathway to heaven but try she would she could not attain her object and finally she became so exhausted by the struggle that she was obliged to desist the moment she did so however the other sphere tamed of its own accord and rolled up to her dear me said angelica how easily things are done when the right time comes the semblance now took shape and kissed her how nice thought angelica returning the kiss this is love love is life i am his he is mine most of all he is mine no we can't allow that said a chorus of men from the earth you're beginning to know too much you'll want to be paid for your labor next just as well as we are and that is unwomanly but angelica only laughed and kissed her lover talk does no good she said this is the one thing the great man-boy booby understands at present so she kissed him again, and every time she kissed him, he changed. He was Samson, Abraham, Lot, Antony, Caesar, Pan, Achilles, Hercules, Joe. He was Lancelot and Arthur, Percival, Galahad, and Gawain. He was Henry the Eighth, Richelieu, Robespierre, Luther, and several popes. He was David the palmist, beloved of the man-god of the Hebrews. He was golden-haired Absalom and st paul in his unregenerate days but he never was solomon she saw hundreds of women dividing solomon among them and cherishing the little bits in the women's sphere of their day and they offered her a portion but she refused to take it she said she would have the whole of him or none at all and they were horribly shocked they said fie you are no true woman a woman is satisfied with very little and silently submits and angelica answered rubbish what do you know of womanhood and truth you talk like a bishop and the clergy were dreadfully offended at this they said she was all wrong they said it mildly they shouted it rudely they whispered it persuasively and then they blustered we are right and you are wrong they maintained well i have only your word for that said angelica which provoked them again we speak in the name of the lord they answered oh anybody could do that said angelica but it wouldn't prove that they have the lord's permission to use his name then they reminded her that the true spirit of god had been bestowed upon them for transmission and she answered yes but it was taken from you again for your sins and confided to us and wherever a virtuous woman is there is the spirit of god and the will of god and there only then they drew off a little and consulted and when they spoke again they had lowered their tone considerably but you will allow i suppose that we have done some good in the world they said collectively oh yes she answered you have done your duty here and there to the best of your ability but your ability was considerably impaired by vice however you have brought the world up out of the dark ages of physical force at our instigation and helped to prepare it for us now step down gracefully take your pensions and perquisites and hold your tongues men are the muscle the hard-working material of the nation women are the soul and spirit the directing intelligence they were about to reply but before they could do so a stentorian voice proclaimed home is the woman's sphere who are you said angelica coolly i am the pope of rome he answered strutting up to her with dignity and what do you know about the woman's sphere she said laughing i am informed of god he declared but she answered that she had much later information and slammed the doors of the sphere in his face then she peeped through the keyhole and saw that the pope was in consultation with the archbishops of canterbury and york and two popular cardinals they were very quiet at first but presently they began to quarrel don't make such a noise she shrieked through the keyhole go away and be good will you we're very busy in here and you disturb us we're revising the moral laws the shock of this intelligence electrified them and while they stared at each other helplessly not knowing what to do she armed herself with a vulgar vernacular which was the best weapon she understood to level at cant lord she said to herself how davil would enjoy this i wish he was here she found the work of the sphere very heavy and she tried to remember the name of some saint but for the life of her she couldn't think of any so she called upon oda and rhoda broughton then she peeped through the keyhole again and finding that the pope was listening she squirted water into his ear the other ecclesiastical commissioners remained in the background looking anxious we're attending to man the iniquitous now she called to them kindly to relieve their minds he's been too much for you it seems but we'll soon settle him you're a nasty-minded woman said the pope always abusive old candles and vestments angelica retorted candles and vestments in excess said the archbishop of york hurriedly. where and he went off to see about them to the pure all things are pure a powerful voice proclaimed at that moment ah that is st paul said angelica surprised and delighted and then she shook hands with him the sacred duties of wife and mother one of the cardinals began to pipe there you are meddling again angelica interrupted him rudely will you go away and let us mind our own business this is all your fault the pope said to the archbishop of canterbury the archbishop defended himself courteously but another quarrel seemed inevitable nevertheless before it could come off however it suddenly appeared that if it were anything it was unwomanly about that they were quite in accord and having made the discovery they went their several ways shaking their several heads impressively now i shall have time to consider the state of the sphere said angelica just wait till i can come and teach you your duty she called to the women there i am not esther most decidedly but i am judith i am jael i am vasti i am godiva i am all the heroic women of all the ages rolled into one not for the shedding of blood but for the saving of suffering they did not understand her a bit however they were so dazed and they all looked askance at her i see she said i shall have to save you in spite of yourselves but when she had looked a little longer and seen men women and children crowding like loathsome maggots together she was disheartened all this filth will breed a pestilence she said and i shouldn't be surprised if that pestilence were me but just at that moment the light went out someone uttered a cry and angelica awoke the room was flooded with moonlight i am awake now she said to herself and that was a real cry It was murder i think and she rose intrepidly to rush to the rescue she was going off at once just as she was in her night-dress but the house was so still at the moment that she thought she might be mistaken she was determined to go and see for herself however in order to make sure and having pinned up her hair she put on her shoes and stockings and a dressing-gown and opened the door her heart beating wildly all the time it was a sickening sensation but as she listened she became aware of voices speaking naturally and people moving to and fro which somewhat reassured her she left the room however and ran down the corridor at the farther end a bright shaft of light streamed across it from a half-open door and she heard edith speaking wildly my poor child my poor child mrs beale answered with tears in her voice do try and calm yourself won't you tell us this story that is troubling you now you will feel better if you tell us no no edith answered quickly i will not tell you until he comes any of you but when he comes there was a pause then she asked feebly doctor what is the matter with my head but before he could answer she broke out into a stream of horrid imprecations angelica put her hands to her ears and flew back past her own room to the top of the stairs there she encountered the bishop he was trembling he was at a loss nothing he had ever studied either in theology or metaphysics had the slightest degree prepared him for the state of things in society which he was now being forced to consider my dear child he exclaimed what are you doing here oh i'm frightened i'm frightened angelica cried thumping him hard on the chest with both fists let us go away and hide ourselves she seized his hand impetuously and dragged him downstairs after her sideways a mode of descent which was more rapid than either safe or graceful for a little fat bishop in evening dress come 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 to the library with me and talk about god and good angels and that kind of thing she cried but this is the middle of the night the bishop objected well and is there any time like the present angelica exclaimed come at once come and say nice soothing things from the psalms as she spoke she dragged him across the hall and into the library from whence he had just issued and then slammed the door the bishop reproved her for this and wanted her to go to bed but she refused go to bed and lie awake in the dark with horrid words about how can you expect it she demanded i shall not go to bed unless you come and sit beside me all night long poor angelica impetuous imperious but in that she was her father's daughter not saved by her wonderful intelligence from being fantastical There must inevitably have been an element of broad farce in the veriest tragedy into which she might have been brought at that time, an element which was rendered all the more conspicuous by her own inability to perceive at the moment that she was behaving ridiculously and making others ridiculous. But the bishop himself was not conscious of any absurdity or loss of dignity. It was only the inconvenience that he felt just then, for he was fresh from a painful interview with Dr. Galbraith and every nerve was jarring in response to the horror that had come upon him his heart was wrung and his conscience did not acquit him he did recognize now however that angelica was in no fit state of mind to be left alone and sitting down beside a little table on which stood his constant companion and friend for many years a large quarto copy of the bible he folded his hands upon it seeming to pray while he waited patiently until she should have calmed herself her indignation had driven her to seek a more popular form of relief than the bishop had chosen as she paced up and down the room in evident agitation every now and then stopping short to wring her hands when terrible thoughts came crowding she became in her own mind exceedingly abusive she revised and enlarged her reply to that cardinal who had piped to her earlier in the night about the sacred duties of wife and mother what do you know about the sacred duties of wife and mother she jeered increasing her pace as her passion waxed wait until you are wife and mother yourself and then perhaps you'll be able to give an opinion and meanwhile attend to your own sacred duties you will come poking your nose into the sphere where it's not wanted she shook her fist at him with your theories she exclaimed you meddling priest what you are afraid of is there won't be slaves enough in the world to make money for you or poor enough to bear witness to your christian charity you needn't be afraid though as long as we have you there'll be poverty in plenty here she became conscious of the attitude of her companion the bishop blotted out the cardinal his wrinkled hands meekly folded his white head bowed his benign face expressive of intense mental suffering heroically borne impressed her resignation no not resignation exactly her thoughts ran on to be resigned is to acquiesce resistance yes to resist but not to resist with rage be firm but be gentle she sat down at last in an easy chair and leaned back looking up at the ceiling in a few minutes she was fast asleep when she awoke the room was empty but outside she heard receding footsteps and springing up with characteristic impetuosity she followed after to see for herself the shutters were still closed in the library and the lamps were burning but it was broad daylight in the hall and a heavy squall of rain was beating against the windows with mournful effect angelica saw a manservant standing beside some baggage as she passed and wondered who had arrived at the foot of the stairs she overtook dr galbraith and caught his arm is edith better she exclaimed dr galbraith looked down at her clasped both her hands in one of his as they rested on his arm and led her upstairs before they reached the top his firm cool touch had steadied her nerves and calmed her this is your room i think he said stopping when they reached it angelica took the hint and went in but she did not shut the door you might have told me you pig and then perhaps i should have been satisfied she reflected standing just inside her room holding her head very high and straining her ears to listen she heard dr galbraith go to the end of the corridor and then as the sound of his footsteps ceased she knew that he must have gone into edith's room the house was oppressively still i suppose i am to be tortured with suspense because i am young she thought and then she followed dr galbraith the shutters were still closed in edith's room and the gas was burning nobody had thought of letting the daylight in the door was open and a screen was drawn across it but angelica could see past the screen she saw edith first she was lying on her bed still dressed and sensible now but exhausted her yellow hair all in disorder fell over the pillow to one side and on the same side her mother sat facing her rocking herself to and fro and holding edith's hand which she patted from time to time in a helpless piteous sort of way edith was lying on her back with her face turned toward angelica there were deep lines of suffering marked upon it and her eyes glittered feverishly but otherwise she was gray and ghastly and old it was the horrible look of age that impressed angelica there were three gentlemen present the bishop dr galbraith and sir mosley menteith edith was looking at her father that is why i sent for you all she was saying feebly to tell you you who represent the arrangement of society which has made it possible for me and my child to be sacrificed in this way i have nothing more to say to any of you except-she sat up in bed suddenly and addressed her husband in scathing tones except to you and what i want to say to you is go go father turn him out of the house don't let me ever see that dreadful man again she fell back on her pillow white and still and shut her eyes my darling you will kill yourself her mother exclaimed dr Galbraith stepped to the side of the bed hurriedly and bent over her the bishop stood at the foot holding on to the rail with both hands his whole face quivering with suppressed emotion mentith gave them a vindictive glance and then stole quietly away angelica had made her escape and was standing at the head of the stairs wringing her hands she was trembling with rage and excitement i am Jail. i am judith no i am cassandra she was saying to herself i must speak i wish to god i hadn't answered that telegram so promptly coming to be made an exhibition of by a sick woman in her tantrums mentith reflected as he walked down the corridor i'm surprised at edith but it is so like a woman you never can count upon them here he caught sight of angelica and quite started with interest that's a deuced fine girl he thought and followed her to the library instinctively a servant had just opened the shutters angelica went to one of the windows and throwing it up to the top inhaled a deep breath of the fresh morning air the rain had stopped the servant put out the lamps and withdrew after standing aside for a moment respectfully to allow sir mosley minteth to enter the latter glanced round the room but angelica was hidden by the curtain in the deep embrasure of the window Minteth bit his nails and stood still for some time. Then the bishop came, followed by Dr. Galbraith, and walked straight up to him. It was a bad moment for Sir Mosley Minteth. He tried to inspect his father-in-law coolly, but his hand was somewhat tremulous as he raised it to twist the ends of his little light moustache. My daughter wishes you to leave the house, the bishop said sternly, and uh, I may say that I— that we, uh, her father and mother, also wish you to go uh, now at once. Angelica sprang from her hiding place. And take that, she cried, for a present, you father of a speckled toad. And seizing the heavy quarto Bible from the table, she flung it with all her might full in his face. It happened to hit him on the bridge of his nose, which it broke. End of book three, chapter eight. Recording by Judy Guinan.